What an awesome morning we are having this morning in the presence of God. Amen. I just feel like there's just, can we just take another moment? I know normally you see me on the mid-service as we come up right after offering and we just do this, but would you just close your eyes right where you're seated and just put your hands out? And I, as we just, we just know God's doing some amazing things already and he's continuing to do the work, but I just feel like this morning there's just more. There's so much more that sometimes it just takes us to stop for the moment just to see him, just to know him more, just to feel him more into, into what he's doing and how he's doing it and that we put everything else aside to say, Jesus, it's your kingdom come and your will be done right here and right now. Yeah. Jesus. Um, does anybody have like a, an elbow issue? It's elbow like, I don't know, from your right or your left, put your hand if you can. We got one there, just filling a couple elbows. Okay, would you, if you wouldn't mind, would you stand for me? I just feel like if we've been calling out words and knowledge, I felt like my elbow right or left, just both of them kind of started to kind of get a little bit tense there. Okay, yeah. Um, also too, like tingling in your fingers, um, like almost like a blood circulation kind of thing. Would you stand as well? Almost like a blood circulation kind of thing. My hands have just gone instantly cold. So like a blood, okay. Yeah, yeah. Just one more. It feels like um, like a headache, but it's not just a headache. It's like specifically right here in the middle of your forehead. Like, does anybody have those? Like a headache that's specific to where right there? Okay. If you wouldn't mind, if you'd stand. All right. We know God's doing some amazing things this morning. So would you just stretch your hand out to the person um, that's next to you or by you or close to you? Or if they're not close to you, stretch your hand out towards one of them. We just say right now, Jesus, you're good to us. You're powerful and amazing, and I know that you are doing great things this morning, God. So we are saying, we are saying elbows right now in Jesus' name. The part, the pain's already going away. Yeah, yeah. So he say pain continue to go away. In, in, into headaches, into uh, circulation to be restored right now in Jesus' name. We say even just circulation in the rest of your body that you may be feeling like just, it may be a leg, it may be an internal organ, it may be a, a something that needs to be restored inside of you. We are saying right now in Jesus' name, restoration. Yeah, I believe God's continuing. Come on, let's don't stop. Just keep going. Keep going. He's already been doing it. He's already doing it already right here. So we just know it's going to continue to do. We thank you, Father, that you're good to us. We thank you that you're powerful and amazing to heal, deliver, and set free. So we say to all swelling in joints and ligaments and pain, you got to go right now in Jesus' name. 
We don't, it's not something that we have to beg for. It's not something that we have to try to strive for, but it's something that we get to walk in as children of God. We get to walk in healing and restoration right now in Jesus' name. We said to headaches because maybe the enemy's coming against you. You feel the headache coming when you got to make a big decision or you feel the headache coming when, when issues start to arise and the enemy's trying to get you to distract you. We are seeing all confusion in mind that's got to go right now in Jesus' name. Maybe even too, you work with your hands and it's because, and the circulation's starting to leave, but we're saying it's gonna be restored today because your hands are gonna be restored. Even tomorrow when you get to work, you're gonna feel it in Jesus' name. We call them these soaking moments around here. If you're not familiar with our culture, we say a soaking moment. It's like a, a moment, like a sponge just begins to soak up the water around that's being poured onto it or around it. And I just feel like right now, it's like maybe you're feeling like a little dry. Just feeling a little dry in your walk with God. And you don't have to put your hand out. You don't have to make, we don't, I'm not gonna make you stand. But if that's you, I just want you to close your eyes and put your hands out because I feel like what God is doing is about to just get you really soaked in his presence. <laughs> really soaked in his presence. I just feel like, yeah, that, that it's like being soaked in his presence. It's being wrapped up in his arms. It's almost like when you give someone a hug and you walk away and you're like, man, they're really, they're wearing really strong perfume or cologne and it's leaving with me. I feel like that's what the father's doing this morning. As he's saying, I want to leave my fragrance on you. I want to leave my fragrance on you. The Bible talks about that when the woman came before Jesus and she broke um, the, the jar of oil and she began to wash his feet began to pour it out. It says the whole room filled with, this, with that fragrance. The whole room began to fill with the fragrance of what, 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 what was going on, that heart posture at that moment. And I feel like it's the same thing this morning that what the whole room is beginning to sense and to feel and to know is that there's a loving God right here, right now. There's a loving God right here, right now. And, and the biggest thing is, is that we get to experience him because he didn't just stay in heaven, but he robed himself in flesh and died on a cross and rose again. He didn't stay there because he knew if he stayed there, we'd be worshiping just that, that, that image. But what we're not worshiping, an image of a, of a God that, that's made out of wood or clay, but we serve a living, breathing God. And he's here this morning for you. And he's here this morning for me. Just because I tell our youth all the time, just because my, my title has pastor in front of it doesn't mean that I'll have to soak in his presence, doesn't mean that I'll have to try to, try to, try to uh, uh, read my word and when I don't want to or, or, or sit and listen to him when, man, I've got all these tasks I gotta do and I've got all these things I've gotta study for, but then it's just about knowing he's amazing and powerful to us. Knowing that he's awesome, and gracious to each and every one of us. I feel like it's kind of just like, um, actually, I'm, we'll probably start breaking into here. And Mark chapter 8, verse 22, starting with verse number 22. If you have your Bibles, iPad, 
phones, tablets, whatever you use. Mar, if, or if you just want to read it from the screen, totally can. Um, man. Mark chapter 8, starting with verse number 22. We're just going to read a quick snapshot of what, what God does here. And I feel like the Lord's going to really start to move. And I want to leave some time here at the end for, for us to be able to pray and minister with you. So uh, Mark chapter 8, starting with verse number 22, says, When they arrived at Bethsaida, um, some people brought a blind man to Jesus. And they begged him to touch him, to touch the man and heal him. Jesus took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. Then, spitting on the man's eyes, he laid his hands on him and asked, can you see anything now? Talk about a word of knowledge, right? (laughs) About being really led by the Spirit. He spit on his eyes and asked him, can you see anything now? Then the man looked around. Yes, he said, I see people, but I can't see them clearly. They look like trees walking around. Then Jesus placed his hand uh, hands on the man's eyes again and his eyes were open. They, his sight was completely restored and he could see everything clearly. The last verse just that we're going to read this morning is Jesus sent, or not the last verse, but we're, for this portion, Jesus sent him away saying, don't go back into the village on your way home. Don't go back to the village on your way home. For the next few moments, next few minutes here, I feel like God's got such a word for us this morning. And that's the title of the message is Pivoting Perspective. Pivoting Perspective. Perspective meaning the angle or direction in which a person looks at an object, the point of view, the ability to understand what is important and what isn't. Um, Sometimes we can even say like, I don't, I feel really disappointed in the situation, but then there's somebody there that begins to help you to see the correct perspective of what's going on. Yesterday, the men had such a great time throwing the axe. Man, I look good in that picture, throwing an axe. I'm just going to tell you, okay? But I will say this. The perspective is not what was portrayed on that picture. Because I really, oh, thanks, Hannah. Okay, perfect. (laughs) I was really, really bad at throwing the axe, okay? If there's ever a zombie apocalypse, don't ask me to help you, because I am not going to get the bullseye. I don't know what was going on. It was the butter that I had eaten. No, I'm just kidding. No, Uh, you know, my hands were slippery and sweaty. It was hot outside. But trying to throw the ax, there's a perspective of what we were looking at. Now, cornhole, I can do. If you need me to throw cornhole to help you out in a situation, I'm in, I'm down. Let's do this. But on our way to the men's event, um, our our kids are spending some time with with my parents. And on the way to the men's event, we hadn't heard from the kids in, in close to 24 hours. Now, as a mom, my wife was a little bit anxious at the house. You know what I mean? Any parents, you know know what I'm talking about. She's trying to get a hold uh, of my mom mom and stepdad, and we're trying to contact our kids, and we hadn't heard from them for so long. And, I mean, all of a sudden, there's, like, this anxiousness that starts to build in our house. And she's like, babe, you got to call. So I start calling, no answer. I'm calling both cell phones. I'm texting, all these things. And then it was time to go to the men's event. And so I'm walking out of the house, and I was like, babe, listen, I'm sure they're fine. Let's put things into perspective. They're with my parents. They're safe. It's okay. Now, I'm sure that's what I wanted to say. What probably came out was like, they're fine, and I walked out the door. And when I got into the car, I was riding along with my brother-in-law, and and we're just kind of chit-chatting as small talk as we're coming here to the church. 
And I started to tell him, and I think he could then recognize kind of the anxiousness that I had, that I was carrying. My brother-in-law did such a great job. He got the perspective to shift onto something else, and we started talking about other things. And then it was like I get to the church, and it's kind of a little anxious still. And then they call, right? And the, the right perspective, as soon as I answer the phone, and I'm like, hello, hello. And it was my daughter, Emily, and she's like, hey, Dad. And I was like, sis, how come you haven't talk, called us, <laughs> right? The perspective was that I was so... I was looking at the danger that they could be. And I mean, everything begins, your mind just begins to wonder and go crazy right at that moment. And then the perspective was that something may have happened, but yet, like, then knowing as, as I started talking, and I'm, I'm asking each kid, like, hey, I want to speak to each kid, make sure they're not asking, they're not being held for ransom or something that's going on. So I'm out talking to each of my kids. If you know my son Isaiah, he gets on the phone and he just starts talking a mile a minute about this electric scooter and all these different things. And I'm like, yeah, he's fine. It's fine. They're okay. And so I spent a couple minutes on the phone. Then I said, okay, here's the deal. I love you guys. I'm here at this men's event. You need to call mom right here, right now. And, um, and then I get a text message from my wife saying that I'm talking to the kids. And I was like, I know. I just talked with them. But the perspective was that maybe they're in danger. So did you see how, how quickly that becomes a change in our heart posture or a change in our mindset? I've told you guys maybe before that... Um, I don't quite dream as much as I probably would like to. Um, in fact, a lot of times it's like I don't really have a lot of dreams. Thank you, Jesus, that I have been completely delivered and set free from night terrors from before. Um, I used to have those constantly where I'd wake up almost the whole entire house in a cold sweat, screaming, swinging. Um, that really didn't help, especially with my wife as I'd swing sometimes at her um, just as she'd wake me up. And, and thank you, Jesus, the Lord has delivered. But a couple nights ago, there was a dream that I had and, and um, I was called in because somebody had taken their own life. And I was called into a place very familiar to us. And I walk into the room. And it was like, like almost like a scary movie, if, you, if you've watched any of those or anything. But it was almost like this movie clip where the body turned. And it instantly came alive. And in the raspiest voice, it looked at me and said, I'm coming for you next. And man, I woke up, like, right? I woke up, I sat up in bed, and I was like, babe, I mean, I'm freaking out. Like, I'm, I'm fearful. I'm not even gonna lie to you. There was a spirit of fear that hit for a few moments. And, and she's like, well, let's pray about it. So we started to pray. And it was a couple days. I went back to bed. It was a couple days later that I'm really, everything's kind of playing out in your head. And then all of a sudden, I was, as I started to really pray about it, God, what, what in the world it was like heaven began to change my perspective on the dream. I all of a sudden, instead of looking at it from a fear perspective, I started looking at it almost as like a glad perspective. Now, stay with me. I started to realize that because I've been praying into our youth group of like, where are we going next? What's the next level? What's happening? What are we doing next? And I realized something, that a tactic that the enemy will use is to distract you and cause you to have fear. Because that means that you're not going to step out when really that's the step you're supposed to take, right? And so the perspective began to change that, man, God, you are going, I just started praising God. Like you are going to do some amazing things in our youth group right here at Valley because of the enemy is scared of what's happening. So the perspective that I want to present to you today is not in the fact that the enemy has a stronghold on our life. It means that the enemy is scared of what's happening right here at our church. 
The enemy is fearful that if you don't say something or ask for, the enemy gets scared when you walk into the house because he knows that if you walk in here that it's going to get called out and you're going to get healed about it. He knows that if he can get you scared, you'll, you'll do this thing where you close up all your doors, your windows, and you'll say, I just got to be fearful, and I can't, and I know, and I was there for a couple days. I'm just being honest with you. But when the perspective changed, that my God is bigger than anything that's trying to face you this morning. And so I began to really, like, study that way. When we started preaching, we're, we're doing a, a series in the youth group called Kingdom Remix. And it's like, I've started to study this way. It's not just looking at things the normal way, but it's taking it, but our culture says it has to be this way and remixing into the kingdom of this is the way it's supposed to be. Because it's ultimately, if I'm fearing, if I feel fearful of what is going to happen, I know that the enemy is scared because when I really take the risk, like Colton said, when I really take the risk, people are going to be healed. People are going to be delivered. People are going to be set free. But what it is, is that are we willing to change the perspective? Right? So pivoting. We, we, I called it pivoting perspective because it instantly thought about, it's a, it's a basketball term. For those of you that play basketball, you know, you got the one foot that plants and then you can pivot, right? As long as the one foot stays, you can pivot. And I started to think about how many times that in, in, that, in that same instance that we have almost gotten fearful that it's like, I remember when we were, when we were um, some of our youth guys, not, not here, but for where we were at before, I was helping out with the basketball team that they were doing. And I remember the coach, one guy got stuck and it was like, he didn't know what to do. And he's holding the basketball. And I just remember the coach started yelling, or it was one of our assistant pastors, started yelling at him saying, pivot, 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 pivot. And so all of a sudden it was like, okay. And he started to move because he's trying to position himself to be able to know that I can either get close to the ball, I can find a teammate, I can be able to keep the ball moving because that's what you gotta do. And, and so it's the same thing in our walk with God. As sometimes we find ourselves just like that dream. We get scared for that moment, but what heaven wants us to do is pivot our perspective to be able to move around to know that it's not just about what I can see, but it's about what God is doing behind me. It's not just about what I know or what, what, what I can or cannot feel. It's about knowing that my God is greater and he's just waiting for me to shift the perspective in my life that I'm not just looking at what I don't have, but what I'm looking at is amazing, powerful God of all that I can have in him and through him. So Jesus, we break into a story where Jesus is performing a bunch of miracles. Sorry, I'm starting to sweat. Good thing I put on deodorant. Go. Jesus is performing miracles. Yeah, you didn't want to know that. Um, and so uh, he, he, earlier in the chapter, he performs the miracle of feeding thousands of people with just seven loaves and two fishes. After feeding everyone, there's the largest leftover containers that they could find. And they, they poured it all together. It says seven large baskets were filled with leftovers. The Pharisees are now demanding that Jesus perform miracles the Bible, in the New Living Translation, the Bible even says that Jesus sighed deeply inside of him and then walked off. <laughs> I feel like at that moment, Jesus is like, listen, you're more concerned about what you can get versus who's actually standing in front of you. The perspective has been, what can I get versus who can I get? And so with pivoting there, Jesus 
is, is, is almost like upset with them for not wanting to know him, but only wanting to know what they can get from him. And it's easy for us to be like, Pharisees, ridiculous. You know what I mean? They should know better. But in all honesty, how many of us have been like that? Where I know, like I said, and I've read it too, because I mean, there's so many times in the Bible where you read and you're like, come on, Peter, you should know better. And it's like, and then I start walking this walk with God and I'm like, man, Tim, you should really know better. <laughs> you know? It's like, because the Bible's there for us to learn from, right? For us to there to see and to, and to grasp of what he's doing, because to know that it's still disqualified people that are being used of God and being blessed of God. And if he can use disqualified people back then, I know he can do it today with me. And so we, we, we sometimes get that same thought process of when you show up to a party, not there to celebrate the person, but we're only there for the food. And you know what I mean, come on, like, let's be real, you know what I mean? <laughs> you get ready to go to a birthday party and like we get in the car and my wife's like, yeah, it's so-and-so's birthday. I was like, oh, all right, cool. She's like, here, sign the card, which thank you Jesus for wives because she is so amazing, keeps me on track. But it's like that it begins to change because the perspective that the enemy wants us to get on is not really to have the relationship with Jesus but to have just the things that he can give us. Because here's the thing, when we get focused on just the things that he can give us, when he doesn't give, we begin to question if he's really a good God. We begin to question, is he really a healer? Because all I'm focused in on is just getting the healing and, and I didn't get the healing. So all of a sudden now the enemy almost has like this, this stronghold that he can get into or it's just little crack and chink in the armor that just made us begin to question if he's, is he really God? Um, he can do all these things, but yet how come I'm not experiencing it? See how the shift begins to happen. And so in 2 Corinthians the verses, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 7 through 8, it says, you must each decide in your heart how much to give. Now we're talking about, he's talking about some money here. He says, don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. For God loves a person who gives cheerfully and will generously provide all you need. Everyone say, all I need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. This is from Corinthians talking all the way years later after the miracle that Jesus has already done to know that when I say yes to God, he's going to give me all I need. When I say yes to him and his will, uh, yes to his presence, yes to what he wants to do, and I'm telling you, that's sometimes a difficult thing to do, right? Um, and, and I know that because, you know, growing up in church, it's like, man, I've got it together. I know I've got my ducks in a row. I know how to say the things or to do the things or to study this or to do that. And yet what Jesus is really saying is, I just want to have a relationship with you. Because religion will then cause us to look at what we don't have and cause us to strive for things that we have no business of even having. And relationship just causes us to walk in the love of God to know that he's going to supply all my needs. Relationship causes us to know that I, I, I'm able to hold on to him and what he's going to do is lead and guide me into all truth and righteousness. And it's not about what I don't have, but it's about knowing who I do have. The pivot begins in our perspective to change. The, the disciples, as we continue reading into the chapter, again, I'm kind of paraphrasing here, 
for time's sake. But the disciples now are arguing about, um, they get into the boat, and they start arguing over who forgot the food. Jesus takes the moment and, and starts to try to teach them about something very important of the yeast inside of the bread. And he's talking about the Pharisees, the things that, begin, that can begin to harm us. And even at one point, Jesus asked them the question, don't you have eyes to see or ears to hear, and don't you understand yet? I don't believe what Jesus was asking them was for the physical eyes or ears, but their spiritual eyes and ears to be open. Their spiritual eyes and ears to be open to see that he is all that we need because they started arguing over who forgot the bread when they had just seen and there was big baskets left over of leftovers from the miracle that he created and now they're arguing over one loaf of bread. It's easy for us maybe to look at that and again to say um, maybe they should know better. But what we see here is the same example that what Jesus asked them questions, do you have eyes to see or ears to hear? And do you understand yet? I believe is what Jesus is asking of us right here, right now in our generation. Do you have eyes to see and ears to hear what he's really doing? My perspective has always been to, if I can just begin to know the Bible more, I can get closer to him. And yes, reading our word is what we should be doing and how we should be living because we begin to know him more and more. But there's also a time when it comes that we have to listen. A time that we have to see what God is really doing. Like I told you in the, in the, in the dream, um, it was fearful for that moment, but when really taking it to God, understanding that if the enemy's scared, that means greater is he that lives inside of me than he that's in the world. Fast forward about another week, and I had another dream. Same thing, almost the same thing kind of happened, except it was, it was really scary. In fact, I woke up screaming again. And, and when I woke up this time, it wasn't like a, oh my gosh, we got to pray. I was like, thank you, Jesus, that God, you are going to do some amazing things. I get to go back to sleep. Thank you, Jesus. And I passed back out. And, and I'm telling you, and that's sometimes hard for me because I can stay up really late at night and um, all these things can start playing off in my mind and all this stuff. But do you see how like it, it, the, the perspective pivots when we begin to really know that I'm a child of God and every lie that the enemy may throw at us, that just means that there's truth of God about ready to be birthed and be ready to come out. It means the truth of God is really about to come out and I promise you just to get ready because what he's about to do is greater than anything we could ever hope, dream, or imagine. Our culture has taught us to look at what we don't have rather than praising God for what we do have. It's taught us to compare more than anything else, to look over the fence to the neighbor beside us to see the greener pasture that they've got, to see the cool, the cool pool that they've got in their backyard when all we've got is, you know, a little kiddie pool from the store and we just kind of splash the kids around. <laughs> it's caused us to compare. And when we compare, we begin to compromise. When we compare, we begin to compromise because we're not really putting our trust and reliance on God at that point, but we're putting our trust and reliance of what I can do. That's why unity is so important in the body of Christ, because unity commands a blessing. 
It does not bring about compromise. It does not bring about compa- uh, comparison. Romans chapter 12, verse 15, um, in the New Living Translation, Romans chapter 12, verse 15, it says, be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. It's easy sometimes to feel the, the compassion for the person weeping, but then all of a sudden when they're happy and they got this big blessing, sometimes we begin to compare, right? And we're like, man, you know, they got this, this fatty house that they're about to walk in and I've got like this one bedroom shack. Man, they're, they're experiencing all these things and I'm not experiencing anything. And yet, and here's, here's in the book of Romans when it says, but be happy with those who are happy. Rejo- like another translation says, rejoice with those who rejoice. Because I believe what it begins to do is it changes our perspective of not to the fact of, of, man, I wish that I had, but it's to understand that I've got God and all that I need, and I can be happy with them because that will ultimately bring about the blessing even more in my life. Because I'm not comparing of what I don't have, what I'm looking at is the God that I do have. I, I, if, if you're a parent, you'll totally understand this. Or even a family member with little kids, you'll get it. Uh, sometimes we go over to our family's house, and one of my kids will begin to play with a toy. And it's not theirs. It's the families that we're at or whoever's that we're at. And we'll, we'll get ready to leave. And then they'll start this, you know, um, yes, my kids do it, but they, they start this tantrum before we leave because they want the toy that is not theirs. Anybody ever experienced this? Okay, yep. And so um, now when it begins to happen, you know, we pick them up and, and you know, I'll just, just Eliana, she's just, she just turned two just a couple uh, days ago. She's amazing. She's beautiful. Um, she has hair now. Thank you, Jesus. And so, so we, we, you know, we'll pick her up and we'll begin to walk with her. But what we begin to do is we tell her, you know, sis, do you want milk? We'll start, you know, talking with her. Do you want milk? Do you want something to drink? Hey, look at the, the cup that you have. Hey, look at this. Hey, look at that. We're trying to change the perspective. And nine times out of 10, it works. But there is some times that it doesn't because she's so focused on what she doesn't have. She doesn't see the real thing that she needs is standing right in front of her. And, 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 and a lot of times in our walk with God, I, and again, I'm, I'm saying we, because I'm saying me as well, that we begin to focus on what we don't have and what we really need to be seeing is who's standing right in front of us saying, hey, what I want to give to you is so much better than what the enemy's trying to change you to look at or distract from you to look at because what I want to give to you is so much greater than the thing that you think you really need. So that's why we, we go into, that's why Psalms chapter 119, verse 18, this person says, open my eyes to see the wonderful truths of your instructions. Open my eyes, God, to see the wonderful truth of who you are and what you're doing. So my prayer has been for the last few days of like, I want our eyes to be open to see the glory of God moving in the middle of our situations, of our circumstances and trials. Even right now, I'm sorry, but sometimes what we begin to feed from social media or from the news or from wherever, even people that we talk with, uh, begins to feed us to see a different perspective. But what God is calling us to is see the perspective of heaven, that he's still on the throne, he's still in control, and he's coming back again for a beautiful bride. 
So we find ourselves back to the verses that we started with a few minutes ago. When they arrived to the city, they, some people brought a blind man to Jesus to heal him. And, and, and the Bible says that Jesus took him by the hand and led him out of the village. This part stuck out to me so much. After all the times I've read this story constantly over and over again, I've never seen that portion where Jesus took him by the hand and led him out of the village. Why did Jesus take him out of the village? Why did Jesus lead him to a place to be alone, even from the people that brought him to be healed? I believe what Jesus was saying right here is he had to bring him away from the perspective that he had been constantly fed because some people will be there to see the healing, but there will also be the Pharisees that were there at that time that I'm sure were ready to now speak uh, uh, negative into this man's life. What Jesus had to do was take him by the hand and begin to draw him to a place that he could pivot his perspective of not only himself, but maybe his family. Not only his family, but maybe his marriage. Not only his marriage, but maybe his finances. Maybe not just his finances, but also his career. What Jesus wanted to do was to silence every other voice and be the actual true voice that was speaking into his life. Sometimes our perspective is going to change when we change the atmosphere of the people that we walk with. Maybe even to be able to show um, what God, what Jesus was wanting to do, I'm sure was when he was leading him by the hand and walking him down, was to even maybe take away the things that no longer needed to be there in his life. For, For him to realize that our reliance is on God And it no longer has to be on the people around us. Isaiah 62, 3, it says, The Lord will hold you in his hand for all to see, a splendid crown in the hand of God. A splendid crown in the hand of God. Sometimes that crown needs a little dusting off. Sometimes that crown needs to be reminded that you are royalty, that you are called you are chosen, that you're redeemed. But just like that coach did on that day and, and telling his team, telling the person that he's leading, pivot. Pivot the perspective to be able to move around, to be able to see. Now my, my, my whole thing has changed. To be able to see now Jared and the lights and the cross. But if I continue to pivot, it can come back around because now I know what's behind me. I know who's got my back. So now I can face the things that are in front of me. Jesus took him by the hand. And today I think he's doing the same thing with you and I. Is that he wants to take you by the hand. Because he wants to lead and guide you into the true things that he's got for you. Jesus takes him out, spits into his hands, and then rubs it on the guy's face. Now I'm not going to spit into my hand and rub it all over Jared, but... (laughs) I'm not going to do that. But I thought about the chapter, if you read the chapter before in chapter 7, Jesus actually pretty much does the same thing, but this time with ears. As he spits into his hands, put, and, he, and he puts his, his, his uh, hands on the man's ears and mouth and actually touches his tongue because the guy was deaf and couldn't speak. And then he tells him, open. Open. And the Bible says that the man began to speak and to hear properly. Open. 
I feel like that's what Jesus is saying to us today is he wants to draw us to a place that he can be able to speak into our lives open. He can be able to speak into your mind and your heart open. He can be able to speak into your situation open. He can be able to speak um, into your a true identity of who you're called to be open. Get ready. Get, get, get prepared. Because there's so much that he wants to do in your life this morning. But really, are we willing to pivot our perspective to see his kingdom come and his will be done? As me and my wife lead um, the youth and the kids here, and we also do the school, or I also do the school here at Valley Christian Academy. My thought process began with, you know, how how can I get, I'm just saying, man, at this, I'm just confessing for a moment of how many kids can I get in the seats, right? You know, we get ready to get youth group, but I'm seeing all awesome friends that I have, and they have got, you know, a hundred and something young, young people showing up on their nights. And that was kind of my perspective of it until it began to change that I don't just want to put a bunch of kids in the seats, but I want them to grow into who God's called them to be. Can I say this as well as a parent? That sometimes as a parent, my perspective is, is I just got to get them fed. I got to get them growing. I've got I've to hopefully don't mess them up enough that when they get 18, they fly the coop, you know, unless you're, you know, unless you're my daughter, Emily, and she'll probably stay with us for a long time. And so, yeah. But it's like the perspective was, I just trying to get them to this point. But yet what God has begun to change as a parent is like, the perspective is, am I discipling them? Am I talking with them? You know, I, I've done this internship program now for our second year with our, with our young people. We got 24 interns this, this summer and they're doing amazing. I love them. This past uh, Wednesday, they actually had like 30 minutes to put a five minute sermon together and a word that I gave to them. And it wasn't easy on them either. I gave, I gave some pretty, pretty difficult words um, that they had to put a sermon together and then they, they had to present. Um, some of them are still going to be presenting this next week um, in, in, in internship. And yet, but it's like the same heartbeat that my perspective has been that am I, am, I, am I mentoring or am I discipling my kids the exact same way that I'm doing with my interns? See how the perspective began to change because I thought I could do it this way with my interns and then I could be a parent over here. And yet what God has called me to do is all the exact same thing over in, into everyone in my life. Now, you may be in a sphere of influence. You may say, Pastor Tim, I don't have no kids. Um, and that's perfectly fine because God's gonna give you some kids, amen? And, and, and do some things in your life. But there's some kids here that maybe need some people to help change the perspective. Just as my brother-in-law did with me yesterday to help me just get focused on something else, to be able to see the perspective of that God is really good. Maybe it's you that are being called into your workplace, into your, into your home, into your family, um, to wherever it is. What God's calling today is our, our, our perspective to pivot, to change, to, to look right into his face and to know that he's all that I need. Heaven's perspective is what we want. Heaven's perspective is what we desire. Jesus tells them, can you see now? Which maybe imply, which, which implies that he couldn't, he could have seen before, but something caused his vision to go blurry. Something in the village caused his vision. I don't know if it was an accident. The Bible never describes anything, but Jesus says, "Can you see right here, right now?" And, and that's what he's calling us to do. Can you see what he wants to do in your life this morning? And maybe it's, I can't see, Pastor Tim, I can't, I don't see what he's doing. And that's okay. 
That's why we're called into community with each other. Because maybe it takes somebody coming alongside and seeing what you can't see. Isaiah 61, 7. This is what I believe the Lord saying to us. Is instead of shame and dishonor, you will enjoy a double share of honor. You will possess a double portion of prosperity in your land and ever and everlasting joy will be yours. Because maybe the healing that needed to take place, maybe for some odd reason, it would have felt like a shame or guilt. And what the Lord's saying is I wanna take that away. And he wants to speak Isaiah 61, seven over us, is that instead of shame and dishonor this morning, you're gonna experience the honor that God has for you. For you to be reminded that you are the head and not the tail and you're above and not beneath. For you to be reminded that joy is yours because the God is living inside of you. For you to be reminded that I am not called a sinner, but I am a saint, holy and righteous in his sight. When I give everything to him, my perspective to him, this is how he makes me clean. Do I still have mess ups and failures or times that I feel like I'm falling or making a mistake? Sure, yeah. But that just reminds me that I just need to rely on God even more. It's just reminded me even more. It's not that, oh man, and it causes the perspective to say, I'm this, I'm that. That's not, that used to be a way of thinking of that, man, now I'm just this or, you know, and one of the things I used to say all the time, my wife has constantly corrected me on it. I'm getting a lot better at it is I'd make a mistake and I'd go, stupid, Tim. And she would be like, no, you're not stupid. Quit calling yourself that. How many times have we said that in our own life? Man, I should know better. And yet the whole entire time, God is just like a father saying, hey, come to me and I'm gonna walk with you. Come to me and I'm gonna take care of it because the perspective is going to change. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19 through 23. It says, and so dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. Because of the blood of Jesus. By his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the, uh, through the curtain into the most holy place. And since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. For our guilty conscience has been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean. Everyone say, make us clean. Come on, make us clean. Our bodies have been washed with pure water. Everyone say, pure water. Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm for God can be trusted to keep his promise. Would you stand with me? Jesus asked him, can you see clearly now? Because he had been washed by that pure water of Jesus. It's one of those things that when we get to heaven, I kind of want to ask Jesus to spit in my eyes, but then it's like, I kind of don't. I don't know, I've been wavering on that. But think about it though. The life-giving saliva that Jesus walked in, that Jesus had, he said, I want to wash you to make you clean. And then he asked him, can you see clearly now? Because we've been washed by the blood. And when he says, I can see somewhat, but there's trees, there's people walking around and they're like trees and then Jesus lays his hands on him again that's okay to pray for someone second time right you don't see the healing in that first time 
And here's the thing. The Bible says his sight was completely restored and everything he could see was clear at that point. There's a place that the Lord wants to bring us to this morning that the scales or the distractions or the things that have been so long been telling us how to see, how to hear, how to do, how to breathe, how to live. What he wants to do this morning is to cleanse us by the blood of Jesus, by the saliva to be washed over us, to be reminded that we are no longer living under the thumb and the guilt and shame of the sin that was even from yesterday. But we get to walk as children of God this morning, holy, righteous, and blameless in his sight. Here's the thing, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9. I'm just going to read these two last two to you, and I'm done. It says, but as it is written, what, what no eye has seen, no ear has heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. Hey, does anybody love him this morning? No eye has seen and no ear has heard. Not even the heart of man can even imagine what God has prepared for those who love him. And because we love him this morning, it's not about seeing with our earthly eyes, but it's about seeing through our eyes of heaven. It's like when we talk about rose-colored glasses, that's what he wants to put on you today. Not to get you to, to, to say like, oh my gosh, everything's, you know, we always say like when those are going to come off after your first few uh, dates or after a first few things and or whatever it may be. And, and that, that's not it at all because God just continues to get better and better every single day. And so here's the thing that he really wants us to be focused on. In 2 Corinthians 4.18, it says, As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Other translations will say they fall away, they break apart. But the things that aren't seen, the glory of God that wants to come into your life this morning is a thing that's going to last forever. I hope and pray that this this message has somewhat been able to help you realize that maybe you've walked in already thinking about the problem for tomorrow, already thinking about the task, already thinking about the thing, but just knowing that the perspective is heaven. My eyes are fixed on Jesus. It doesn't matter what's going on around about me. And yes, he gives me uh, wisdom to be able to steward the things that I have and the task that I'm doing or the job that I've been given. But what it most importantly is, am I living a life that's pleasing to him? Am I living a life that hears what he's saying, that sees what he's doing? So would you put your hands out and close your eyes? Yeah. I feel like this morning, the perspective is pivoting already. Because you're saying, man, I, I, I've already been thinking about the task, but I know that God is bigger and stronger than anything that comes at me this morning. He's bigger and stronger and more powerful than I could ever dream, hope, or imagine because I know physically that I, I'm so thankful that heaven's perspective is not limited to my physical limits, but it is, it is powerful and mighty because it pulls down strongholds. It breaks down every wall and it breaks every chain this morning. So we're saying, God, renew our eyes in you this morning. Renew our mind to be transformed, that our thoughts are your thoughts and our, our, our words that we hear, that we silence every voice of the enemy this morning to know that I only hear the truth. So lead me and guide me by your hand. Lead me and guide me by your voice, God, that I want to see your kingdom come and your will be done. 
right here at Valley Church or wherever we're watching from online or all around our state of Idaho that we are going to influence what God is doing right here, right now from the yeses that are being said to God. There is going to be a radical uh, revival that's about to break forth in our nation and I want to see it come from the amazing state of Idaho and the city of Caldwell and the church of Valley Church being a part of that because we are you're, you're so presence driven that we know God that you're changing right now perspectives and hearts and minds that we are focused in on you and you alone so be with us this week walk with us this week I guess we always say be with us this week but walk with us this week help us to see that you are walking with us this week help us to pivot the perspective that when the enemy comes in like a flood the enemy comes in with all its words, with all his words, with all his fear tactics. Help us to begin to laugh at the face of the enemy, to know that God, you are moving in such a mighty and powerful way, and you have given us strength to overcome everything that gets thrown at us this morning. So we thank you for it in Jesus' name. And everybody said, "Amen." You can come on down. Our prayer team would come.